Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. All right, welcome to the Talking Power podcast, episode 105, and we've got with us, all the way from the United States, special guest joining us tonight, Luke Newhoff. Welcome back to the podcast. Nick, how's it going? I'm going really well, and I, I must say, it was episode 23 when you were last with us, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, 23. So we've, uh, you know, another 80-odd episodes since then, and I was just thinking to myself, I was reminiscing really uh, earlier today thinking that was back in my house and how much the world has changed since 2018. I mean, I must be honest with you. I wouldn't feel comfortable being in a, such a small room, you know, like that anymore. You know, I just think the world's changed so much and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way as well. How, how much of the world has changed since, since we last spoke. Yeah, it's funny, actually, when I came to see you last, I think I was uh, just in Australia for about three months or so. That's when I was still doing the, Still doing long distance dating, so uh, yeah, flitting between Australia and, and the USA, um, and now that sort of that freedom of travel has really uh, has really changed, of course. Um, so it's sort of a just just waiting and seeing when I can get back to Australia for something. But but you're right, I think we enforce a kind of uh, social distancing on ourselves a lot of the time. I was I was just at the track on the weekend and, and found myself anytime someone was just a little bit too close, you're taking a few steps just to, just a little bit of extra space, you know, can't hurt. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely changed our mentality around things. Yeah, it has. And I mean, I, like I said to you back in the day, you wouldn't think twice about being stuck in that was such a small room that I had back at my house. We're in a studio now, but you know, back then it was a little, that room is literally 2.7. I think it is by only three meters. So, and we were stuck around that table there, but you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dream about doing that nowadays. I know, I know Todd and Simon probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing the same thing. So it's funny how things have changed. Luke, just tell us, you know, you mentioned, I mentioned before you're in the US, you're in Tampa. Is it Tampa or Tampa Bay? They're two different, two different locations or are they, it's the so same thing? Tampa, Tampa is the, uh, is one city and Tampa Bay refers to the general area around uh, Tampa city. Um, but what you actually have in, in the Tampa area is you have three different cities. So you have uh, Tampa, um, which is where I live. Then you have St. Petersburg um, and then you have Clearwater. And they're three kind of major cities that form a bit of a triangle. And all of those tend to get referred to as the Tampa Bay area, even though, of course, there's rivalry between each of them and they all like to have their own uh, independent titles. Yeah, okay. All right. Now tell us, I mean, you were, I guess, lucky enough to experience, so your, your team, Tampa, Tampa Bay, was in the, the uh, Super Bowl and I hosted the Super Bowl as well. And, and then you went on to win. Tell us what that was like. Oh, that's right. Like, it's a pretty impressive thing to see. And, you know, my, my wife, Chancey, and I will freely admit that we're bandwagon fans. Once our teams make the, the final four or so, we're, we're right on board the bandwagon. Um, but the whole town changes and gets a new energy. Um, it was actually, I remember the, the first time someone told me about the way football changes a, a city when the teams are doing well was, um, was Peter Glover, a Western Australian drag racer. He used to say when the Eagles and the Dockers were doing well that, everybody just had a better mood around town. And, and it's really true when, when the home team is winning, everybody's just happier. Um, and to have the, the Super Bowl here, and it was the first time in history that a home team has played in the Super Bowl. Um, that was just, it just, the event grew another set of legs, so to speak. It was, um, yeah, the buzz around town was really awesome. Everybody wearing their Bucks gear. 
um, just the influx of people, good or bad, with the whole COVID situation, of course. Um, but it was interesting to see, even though they didn't have the same, um, I guess, public displays and events that they ordinarily would, it was interesting to see how the atmosphere of the event does does take over the city. I'm always interested in in sports events and and what drag racing in particular can learn from other events and and how we can you know have an impact on perhaps the towns and the cities where drag trips are. Obviously, that's difficult at the level of, say, a, a Sydney dragway. Uh, Sydney's a, a big city, but maybe for a, a Mildura or a Wyala, um, those sorts of places, they can, you know, they can really take over a city of a big events coming to town. And mm. it doesn't matter whether it's the Super Bowl or, or it might be the Easter supercharged shootout at Mildura, um, these events have an impact on the towns where they are. And, and that's important to learn for drag racing, how to, how to bring the community into it. Yeah, yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Just want to touch on one more thing regarding the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, who who would be his equivalent in drag racing? Do you think? Uh, it, it's easily, uh, it's easily John Force. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough. Like, I think in terms of your your goats in um in drag racing, it's pretty much out of two guys. And you're talking about Don Garlitz or John Force. Um, Don Garlitz was the technical innovator. He was the one who drove. Uh, so much innovation in the sport. He came up with so many of the things that, that we now take for granted, the rear engine dragsters and things like that. And just the performance barriers he pushed were, were really incredible. Whereas John Force's commercial success, and I think it's very important that John Force came from not a lot. He grew up in a trailer park and he, he drove trucks for a living and he was a blue collar guy who worked his way up through the ranks of drag racing to now be in a successful position he is. And I think John Force's story is really important in drag racing now. And that's why people relate to him so much because he worked his way up into the position he, he has. Mm. He didn't start with an enormous business and go drag racing for fun. Drag racing was his business. Yeah. Um, so as for Tom Brady, I mean, Tom Brady and John Force, I suppose there are some similarities there in terms of um, their performance at age. Obviously, uh, John Force is about twice the age, not quite twice the age of, uh, of Tom Brady, but both have shown... Uh, ways to extend their lifespan in a sport where a lot of others would probably have fallen by the wayside. Um, you know, Tom Brady takes his fitness very seriously. He's constantly working on ways to extend his lifespan in the sport. And I think John Force has done the same thing over the years, concentrated on on his body and his mind and, and making sure he's still capable of driving a Nitro Funny Car. Mm, yeah, most certainly. I mean, it's an amazing story, Tom Brady. I, I You know, I don't follow NFL, but... You know, his story is one that uh, I think has uh, people around the world, no matter where, what corner of the planet you're on, have heard of Tom Brady. And, uh, you know, to change teams and bring that success to another team as well is is unparalleled really in, in a lot of sports. Like you think in AFL, hasn't really been done. A lot of people during, um, the saying Dusty Martin is the, is the Tom Brady, but Dustin Martin hasn't changed teams and brought that success over with him or brought that culture and made another team successful. So, yeah, it's an amazing story. I really like talking about Tom Brady, and uh, that's why I had to put it in there, who would be his drag racing equivalent. But it was a, I, I thought John Force as well, just for the record as well. So, mm-hmm. hey, um, Luke, while we're talking US and all the things that are happening over there, we're seeing a growing trend here on even commercial, uh, our commercial free to free to air TV, Street Outlaws. Even though it's on a ninety channel ninety six over here, Rush, it's sort of gaining momentum over here. What are your thoughts? I know for the purists, 
they're probably not big on on street outlaws but tell us your thoughts on on the street outlaws product as as it stands street outlaws i think is it's the only product in drag racing that's been able to rival uh nhra's um camping world series as as a mainstream influential series uh, people know what street outlaws is about uh, they know the people on the show um i haven't attended a filming of uh, the Street Outlaws show itself. I've been to their No Prep Kings event. Um, and it, it is interesting to me seeing the fan appeal that those races have. Um, I've never seen a queue for autographs, even at, say, John Force's pit, like I saw for, for Farm Truck and Asian at the, at the No Prep Kings. I mean, it was an enormous, enormous queue. Um, and these guys have this, yeah, this huge following. Um, and look, I, I think the show itself, it's, while it has the drama of street racing, it's all in control conditions. Um, I'd like to see perhaps the show, yeah, explaining to people how to go, how to go racing if they want and how to do it in a, in a safe way. I'm, you know, got my safe drag racing hat on, but also by the same token, um, street racing has, as much as we might not like it, has always been, had this sort of underground link to drag racing. There's so many drag races you talk about. You, you talk about it with, um, with John Zapier, you know, starting on the streets of Fremantle. And, you know, a lot of these guys, they, they started out as young guys doing their thing with, uh, with, with cars that were too fast for the street and finding their way to the drag strip. Um, so I'm not sure that the, yeah, the show itself has any kind of, uh, has more so of a negative impact than, than anything else. I think street racing is always going to be there. Um, and so if we can, yeah, if we can translate a success into mainstream drag racing, which it kind of has with the No Prep King show, um, then that's a, a good thing. I think for, for myself personally, the No Prep Kings deal, I, I, I never found that interesting at all, but they've started airing that here in Australia as well. And I think I look at that product now and think it's actually not that bad. And I've actually grown to it and warmed to it, which I'd never thought I would. So my view is probably it's the old adage, any publicity is good publicity. I just think some of the wrecks that we're seeing now, you talk about safety. These guys are getting out of these wrecks relatively unscathed. We saw kamikaze that hasn't aired here in australia yet but kamikaze uh wrote the the elki off it was really interesting because that car has always been pitched as the uh the junkyard dog or the entry level car but when they were pulling it off the track i noticed that thing had a hemi in the rails or maybe it was just my eyes but i'm positive that thing had a hemi in it a nitrous hemi so they leverage the 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 home built sort of aspect i think jj the boss that that sort of that series is very much those cars are appear from the outside to be home built. Not convinced that they are, however. Oh, there's a pretty serious safety behind most of them. And they're pretty quick cars. Um, look, when I went to the no prep Kings and, and watched some of the guys who were racing there, and some of them were from the street outlaws show as well. Um, those were cars that were yeah clearly capable on a prep track would easily run threes on the eighth mile. And honestly on, on a no prep surface, some of them were probably still pushing threes. They were, even though there was no times on the scoreboard, they were, they were seriously quick cars. Um, and look, there's a lot of money comes through that show as well. They're, they're paid well to be on the show and they can build good, good and safe equipment. And I imagine the, the producers behind the show probably don't want the guys skimping too much on safety because, uh, you know, if the worst should happen one day, it's a, it's a pretty bad situation for everyone concerned.
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. No, we fully agree there. Just talking, we, we mentioned John Force before, but it's important to note he's announced that he's doing the full NHRA tour this year. So it's a return to racing for John Force, Robert Height, and uh, Brittany as well. What influence does he have, John Force racing on the NHRA? Uh, John Force is, we were talking about Tom Brady before, okay? There are certain people who become uh, bigger than the sport and, and they become known. Uh, you know, around the globe. Um, you have Michael Jordan in basketball. You have Tiger Woods in golf. You have Tom Brady in, in the NFL. And while John Force isn't, I, I wouldn't say he's a household name around the world, there's more than a few people in America are aware of who, who John Force is. Um, and that's his, I think, his most important role to play in the sport. He is, is the closest thing we have to a household name in drag racing. Um, so his presence at the NHRA is enormous. There are there are a lot more people than we think, I believe, who go to drag simply to see John Force. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that in the reaction. You can see that in the, in the merchandise people are wearing. Um, he has an enormous fan following. So the sport is better for having John Force in it. There will be a day, one day when he steps aside, and it isn't going to be the end of the world. Um, I hope he'd still be there as a, as a team owner, of course, and, you know, and his daughter's racing and, and that sort of thing. Um, and that and that legacy will pass on. Um, you know, I, I just think there's some, there's always that buzz when John Force is on the track. It's, it's, it's yeah. You see it in I guess if I'm looking in for Western Australia, it's the same buzz that happens when when John Zappier rolls out under the tunnel and, and does the yeah. burnout, and everyone everyone watches because they they know they're going to see something something pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I hope he's around for a few more years yet. But at, at at the same time, it's not going to be the end of the world uh, when John Force does retire. People often talk about, well, you know, what will happen if we lose John Force racing or what would happen if we lose Don Schumacher racing? And the truth is other teams will step up to, to fill the gap. It, it doesn't actually leave a gap. It leaves a vacuum. And mm. other teams do come in and, and, and start to play. Potentially teams that are out-resourced right now realise, okay, well, maybe, maybe we should be fielding a second car and, and taking advantage of this. And, and that will happen. It's just a, a natural evolution of things. Yeah, yeah. Talking of NHRA, I really want to get your thoughts. We saw Camping World come in as naming rights this year. To me, that feels like a better fit compared to uh, previous uh, naming rights. And that's nothing, that's nothing against Powerade and, and those companies. But the camping world fit seems better. I think demographics have a, have a better match. Is that just me or would you agree with that as well? No, I would agree with that. I, I think you just have to walk around the pits at, at, at any drag race just to see how many RVs and caravans and, and things like that are around. So just about every racer there has, has the tow to home and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's interesting actually just um, how much money is in the pits. Like we look around and say it's in the pits of the motorplex and someone's got a nice, trailer. Oh, that's a nice, that's a nice trailer there. You know, they've mm. done all right. Whereas you see the majority of bracket racing teams, for instance, or class racing teams in the NHRA. Um, yeah. They've got the tow to home. They've got the nice trailer. There's, you know, there's easily six figures in, in most of the tow rigs. So yeah. for Camping World to be involved is a, is a very cool deal. And um, look, I, I think like when we had Powerade and, and Full Throttle as, as series sponsors over the years, I like the, just the wording. I, I like that it related to the sport a little bit. And I feel like Mellow Yellow never had quite the same resonance no. in terms of, uh, yeah, the excitement of drag racing. 
but also like sponsorship is about um it's about changing behaviors um mm. and you want to change the behavior of the people that you're marketing to and soft drinks are an area where it is possible to change behaviors of the people you're marketing to so getting them to try mellow yellow instead of uh sprite or anything like that so yeah, okay. for a company like coca-cola that wants to try and boost certain products and it can use the nhra to to do that um in terms of yeah selling selling the products directly i, I do think that the camping world uh match is going to be a lot better for the for the nhra mm, yeah yeah no and I, I mean maybe maybe we should look closer to home as well over here as well there's a there's a bit of a, a gap i not to use your terminology but we've we've you know bcf and their parent company well not their parent company but super cheap as well and now we're sort of in a looking for their next venture, I guess you could say, with supercars going down the Repco Road. So it'd be good to see, you know, that that BCF and super cheap tie up because they're the same the same company. Maybe there's a door as a there's a door open there for four hundred Thunder or the Andra the Andra series. I'd I'd really like to see that. Because I when when they announced that I said that that feels right. That has a certain click to it to me. So hopefully we can do the same here. I'm I sincerely hope anyway. We talked about Orlando before. It's not too far. It's a, I worked it out. It's only an hour and 40 minutes away from, from Tampa. So I did the actual Orlando Speedway, Orlando Speed World Dragway, sorry. Big event coming up there. The um, World, sorry, the SeaTech World uh, Door Slammer Nationals. So Pro Stock, for the win in Pro Stock, it is $75,000. That's huge. And in Pro Mod, it's 50000 the factory shootout is ten thousand. Top sportsman ten thousand. Um, comp eliminated ten thousand. Super stock uh, ten thousand. And pro six thirty two fifteen thousand. Tell us your thoughts. I mean, um, I guess he's uh, in many ways. You're you're in the same space as Wes Buck. Um, he's one of the guys behind this um, this event. Tell us what's the feeling like having something like this in the lead up to the NHRA? I mean, it's a big ticketed event. What, what, what do you, have you been able to get to this? Yeah, I went to the world door slammer nationals last year. Um, really cool event. Uh, they, they took it a bit of a different approach. Where's promoted another event over in, um, in Denver at mile high raceway. Um, it was in the middle of the middle of the year and it was a little bit tough for racers to get there at the time because it came in the middle of a lot of different uh, series. So I think Wes had a bit of a chat to the racers and, and found out, you know, is, is there a better time we can do this for you guys? Um, and the week before the Gator Nationals, when everybody wants to do testing anyway, they're already in the general area of Orlando. Uh, Gainesville is only about two hours from Orlando. Um, works out a lot better. So as a result, yeah, there was an instant increase in teams uh, last year. Um, and they did a lot of things right with the event last mm. year. Um, one of the best things they did, I think, from a, from a fan approach, and, and I hope they get rewarded this year with a few more spectators attending, um, was running back-to-back uh, Pro Mod and Pro Stock sessions. So yep. they opened up with, uh, with Pro Stock, and then they had a, a Pro Mod qualifying session, and then they went straight back into Pro Stock. They said to the team, hey, turn around quick like you would for the NHRA, and we're just going to keep the show running. And, and, and it worked out really well. Um, it was just a, a, a superb show in terms of qualifying night. Um, so looking forward to this year, a lot of teams on the property again. It's, some teams take it super seriously as an opportunity to, you know, to get some, some big dollar prize money. I think a lot of teams will say they're there for testing, but by the time you're into the, maybe the quarters and the semifinals, they're perhaps starting to look at the, the money a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a really cool event. 
Well, last year, Jed Coughlin won in pro stock and Alex Laughlin in, in uh, pro mod, actually, which is funny because he, he he dabbles in both. But it, great guys, and it was really good to see those guys take a win. I must have, I thought to myself, I wonder if Jed would be reconsidering retirement after that big win, but I, I don't think he has. But anyway, it's a, it's a big event. And I look, I mean, I listen to the Westbuck podcast from time to time, and, you know, he certainly uh, builds up to the event and I think you know I think this we'll talk about lights out a bit later on different type event completely but I think you know the big money sort of prize money uh, events that we're seeing are really gaining some um, exposure even over here in Australia so it's really really great to see that event getting legs again this year all right Luke well look I mean we'll take a short break here and uh, we'll be back with more well we'll We'll focus on WA drag racing uh, right after this. Okay, welcome back to the Talking Power podcast, episode 105, and we have Luke Newhoff with us. Luke, thanks for joining us. As I said, um, tell us a little bit about what, what you're up to these days anyway in the US. You're still, you're still putting together... A magazine from the United States, but it's a focus on Australian drag racing. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so basically, look, I've uh, I've been remotely working on the magazine for a lot of years, and and some might argue even in Perth, you're you're remotely working on the magazine most of the time, which is yes. is the truth of it. Um, you know, aside from being able to um, yeah photograph some races uh, at events at the Motorplex, really, just about every part of the magazine was, was done remotely. It was. From Perth, it was sent to, to printers in Melbourne, and and from Melbourne, it went to Sydney, where Grant Stevens sends out the subscriptions. So, um, the the leap to doing it in the USA actually wasn't so bad, um, and I, and I like to think that the magazine has got even even better since. You you do take inspiration from the industry here and and some of the people here. Um, so yeah, the, the magazine's going great guns, and uh, we've sold out of most of our recent copies, which is nice. Um, so yeah, thanks for all the subscribers for, for supporting us. Obviously we're, we're just a little, we call it a little cottage magazine. You know, it's, we're, we're a, a drag racing is a niche within a niche. It's, you know, motorsport is a niche sport. Drag racing is a, is a niche of that. Um, you know, it's not a, a huge, huge sport, um, in Australia, but yeah, there's enough people who are passionate about it to support a magazine, which is nice. It's good. I, I, I mean, I enjoy the magazine. My old copies I bring down to the local primary school. My kids, well, one, only got one kid left there now, and they put it in the library there for the kids to read. And I like actually sometimes I go into the library and I see a couple of drag drag news there. And I, I think that's that's awesome for even the kids. I like to see kids pick it up and have a flick, even if they're looking at the pictures who, who, that we don't really care, as long as it's, it's about the sport, isn't it? And I think that product that you produce is an absolutely amazing product. And um, yeah, go to the head to the website, www.dragnews.com. Actually, have I got that right? Drag, yep, dragnews.com.au. And that can, people can subscribe there. There's also often enough, a number of stories there as well, isn't there? Even on the website. Yeah, that's right. Um, we'll often put up some of the stories that have been in the magazine uh, a few months later. The, one of the approaches we've taken with the magazine is to make it more feature-based. So we're featuring personalities as opposed to events. Um, you know, Dragster Australia back in the day used to be the only source of, of event information. Mm. Um, and they're out every two weeks and, and your event report would be out a, a few weeks after the event. Um, and that was, that was always cool. But the truth is now people get all their event news within hours, if, if not as the event is happening. Yeah. So our, our focus has to be on expanding the stories that people can't get as much information about. So 
that's where we do interview races. We talk to them about their backgrounds in the sport, some of the things they're up to, and yeah, and hopefully give people a little bit more insight into into some of these really cool vehicles and, and cool people in the sport. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Look, one of the reasons we we had your brother-in-law James just sitting over there the a couple of weeks ago, actually, and um, we we had a, a brief discussion about with Andrew, James, and uh, Michelle about the um, the current se- the, the current drag racing series in here in Western Australia, and we thought we you know we get you in for a bit of a chat, and because you have a different lens on it as as to what we do, and uh, I mean some of the things you you had a couple of suggestions yourself, but. I think one of the things you said was a return to the fast series. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? What was the fast series for our listeners and, and why you'd like to see a return to that? So the fast series was, uh, is also known as the fast Fridays. Um, it was a really accessible uh, bracket racing series that featured both drag racing and also featured speedway. Um, really, you know, just a short format, um, generally running from, from six o'clock to 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Um, but they had all, all sorts of classes for street cars, uh, sport compacts, nostalgia cars, like the old school cool stuff. And the same, same thing on the Speedway side, they had a lot of divisions that they ordinarily wouldn't have at their major shows. And I think it was a really important part of building the grassroots of, of both sports and letting as many races as possible uh, use the wonderful facility that is the Motorplex. Um, now, a few years ago, uh, I think it was the season after that the WA government took over running the venue. Um, they looked at some of the sums and looked to, they weren't losing money at the time. Uh, they weren't making a lot of money. That was also in a season where a couple of them got rained out. So I think yeah. the numbers were perhaps skewed a little poorly in, in terms of the past series uh, favour. But I also think that in a, a season where it wasn't so badly affected by rainouts, um, and especially now with, with the economy starting to, to pick up a little, I think the Fast Friday or Fast Series is uh, something we need to have back just to give people a place to um, race their, their everyday streetcars. I think that's one of the great things about drag racing is, is how accessible it is. Um, and truth be told, I, I'd like to see, um, say, the upper dialing limit in Super Street also being raised so we can have people. Like, if somebody goes out and buys a brand new uh, Ford Mustang, for example, um, it's, a, it's a great sports car. It's a lot of fun. And I'd like to see them be able to use that on the drag strip. And, and drag racing should be promoting itself as a sport where you can bring any decent car down and, and instantly be a part of it. To have that accessibility available to people, I think, would be a, a huge boost for the sport. Mm. You know, one of the things that Simon said here as well uh, some time ago even in super, even in super street, he goes. It's about capturing those people and making them part of the sport for for a long time, for a long ter- or a long term. And he said one of the ways of doing that was maybe mandating a cage of some description, um, even for this bringing the cage into for slower vehicles as well. He goes once a, once someone makes that commitment to put a cage of their car, you, you've got them because they're 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 committed to the sport from that point onwards. We see a lot of guys coming and going as as they please, and if we want people in the super street bracket, I think we've got to try and grab them and you know make them make a commitment to the sport, and that may be mandating not a, maybe a full cage but some uh, some sort of safety in their car so that we've got those people for for a long period of time if that makes sense i would i would disagree with that i think you want to reduce the barriers to entry as much as possible 
I think mm-hmm. you want to get people introduced to the sport as, as smoothly as possible. And then it's up to us as a sport um, to make it fun for them um, and to make it something that they believe is worthwhile doing. Um, when people are looking for a leisure activity, I feel like they're looking at all sorts of different things. Yeah. They can be, they can be going camping with the family. They can be going fishing. They can be going four wheel driving. And these are all things that the demographic drag racing attracts are into. So we're realistically not competing just against other motorsports, for example. We're competing against all those other activities. Yeah. So the easier we can make it for people to get in initially and and then it's the most fun we can give them uh, for their buck, I think that's how we're going to get them uh, hooked on the sport. And yeah. you know, if they can bring the family down to the sport and they all have a, a great uh, a great time in the pits, then you know, that, that's the main thing. And they're going to see it as a worthwhile activity for their for their uh, time and their money, and and I believe that time is is far more valuable valuable to people than than the money aspect of it. Yeah. Um, people only have you know a few short hours on a weekend to to relax, and if they've been you know, working all week and, and working hard for their families, they they want somewhere where they can feel relaxed and where they feel that that uh, yeah that leisure time they have is being rewarded. Hmm. Yeah. No. Fair enough. No, a, you raise a good point there. I, I agree. You talked also, you followed this idea, and I have different thoughts on it myself, but I, I'm, not, I'm not against it. I'm not really for it either, but I, I don't know. But you talked about maybe removing eliminations in some, some classes. Can you talk us through a bit about that as well? Yeah, I guess that's my latest hobby horse is uh, yeah, the elimination of eliminations, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we're seeing a lot of classes head that way. Um, there's already a few classes using the, the Chicago shootout style at the Motorplex now. Yeah. Uh, Queensland has been using it for a while at Willowbank Raceway with their QDRC series um, where they'll run three rounds and then a final. Um, I think it's a really... Uh, it's an issue drag racing needs to be looking at a lot more closely than it actually is. Um, in the professional ranks, even 400 Thunder, that that's been their um, one of their best innovations is to move to that format where the the cars come out in front of the crowd three times. Um, that that makes sure that the the spectators are rewarded and that they get to see their favourite racer um, three times in, in a particular event. And again, we, we talk about how valuable people's time is. If their favourite racer is is Phil Reed or um, or uh, John Zapier or whoever that might be on track at the time, they, they want to see them as many mm. times as possible. Now, from a racer perspective, uh, it comes back down to what we were talking about earlier and, and, we, and we need to have drag racing be a rewarding activity uh, for the time. And the truth is that bracket racing is a lot tougher than people give it credit for. Now, if someone invests a little bit of money, okay, they've, they've built a super street car or, or maybe a modified bike and they go racing and all of a sudden their first round cannon fodder as they're learning the sport, it's going to be tough to keep those guys enthusiastic about coming back. And we, we like to, to, to think we can tell them, oh, just, just keep at it and, and all that sort of thing. But I hate to think how many races that we've lost over the years because they become a little bit impatient with, with trying to learn while they're being bundled out in the first, mm. first round every time. Now, by its nature, eliminations uh, gives more experience to those who, who do better. So the better you do, the more racing you get to do, so the better you become. Uh, yeah. The guys who are making semis and, and finals in, in fields that have five rounds at a time, you know, it, it's realistic. They're making anywhere between 30 to 40 runs a season in elimination to getting that experience. If you're in, if you're getting bundled out in the first round, every time, you know, you, you you're going to get perhaps less than 10 runs in a, in a season. 
yeah. where you're where you're in eliminations. Now, uh, eliminations to me is the fun bit, or racing, I should say, is the fun bit of drag racing to me. Um, qualifying, I can give it a take it after a while. When I used to race a modified bike, uh, three qualifying sessions was just was too much for me. And especially if you had a bad day, you might have a red light or, a, or some bike troubles in the first round. There was nothing more frustrating than you're out in the heat all day, you're set up, um, and then you get bundled out in the first round. Um, and I can imagine how frustrating that is if new racers are bringing their family down to, to come and watch them race and the kids are at the track and they're trying to be involved in the racing and time after time after time, they're going out in the first round. So if we shift to a shootout format where at least they can get more experience in, in actual racing and be a part of the event the entire way through, I think that's really cool. I mean, you just got to look at any other motorsport. Like if, if, if you go road racing at, at Barbagello, it's not as if they're cutting the last bike off the field every lap and saying, okay, off you go. You didn't do well enough, go home. That's uh, not going to help them improve. And it's the same situation in drag racing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed with you there. Um, I still think there's probably some events where I like to see the Western Nationals, even Group 2, I think they still need to be eliminations. But I do agree with you, the sentiment, even in some of the national opens, more than, yeah, should 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 be that in that way. And I think Ray and his team are slowly introducing that. We've seen a number of uh, brackets this year in a, in a round-robin format. So and, and hats off to the Motorplex for trying it out. It's been a trying year for the Motorplex, and the team down there have done a magnificent job. And absolutely, we should add that as well. So they've done a really great job. The other thing is you also mentioned uh, some of the WA, the Premier Brackets, SummerSlam and the Nitro Series, um, but you, you're talking about a heads-up conversion of those brackets to, to a heads-up format. Um, tell us a little bit about that as well. I think we're seeing a, a real change in, in the way that the sport's presented in, in WA right now. Um, so to go, go back and do a little bit of a quick history lesson, um, the, the premier bracket in, in WA was always top comp in the past. Um, now, that was an innovation by uh, Gary Miosevic and, and the other people promoting the sport at the time to have as many blown cars as possible uh, out on the track as much as possible, um, entertaining the fans, in addition to whatever feature they were bringing in uh, for the event, which was another of their trademarks, having, having something different each time for people to see. So... As the sport has grown in Australia and, and, and things have changed and now, especially with COVID making it uh, almost impossible to get different features for events, we're seeing this growth of our own uh, heads up brackets in Western Australia. First with the SummerSlam, which, which started, I think, about four years ago um, as a heads up series for, for the top door slammer guys. And, uh, and we've now seen it with the, um, the BME Nitro Championship as mm. well, uh, where we had that critical mass of cars starting to attend where they said, hey, like, we might be able to make a championship out of this. Now, the cool thing about when you do that sort of thing is that it, it, it snowballs and, and gains momentum and people see that there's a series available. And all of a sudden, somebody who perhaps had, had dreamed of running a, you know, a top fuel drags or a nitro funny car in, in a series and, and never had the finances or resources to do so on, on a national scale and, and to run top fuel on a national scale takes an, an enormous amount of, amount of those they can now look at a series like the BME Nitro Championship and say, okay, well, I could build, say, a rail and put, like, one of these outlaw Nitro Funny Car combinations in it, go out there, maybe run some 540s, 550s, and, yeah. and have a whole bunch of fun. Um, so that's going to be a really cool direction for the sport. 
Um, and I think inevitably we might see the same things from the, the top alcohol guys. If you look up at the makeup of the top comp field right now, um, there's a lot of top alcohols generally filling the numbers and, and the, the competition class, uh, blown, blown cars, the things we used to see, things like uh, double A gases, you know, uh, uh, you've got Keezy running double AAP. Mm. Um, but those, those classes have dropped off. And, and I think we do need to take a bit of a hard look about, okay, are we going to change the direction of the sport um, in terms of making it, you know, a bit more fan friendly? Heads up is definitely a more fan friendly format. And I think if we have formats where people can still go racing, I, I hope that we're going to see guys, say, putting together uh, door slammers, you know, and running 6.0, 6.1, maybe being happy to be in there and be amongst it. Uh, and the same thing with the top alcohol guys, people putting together, you know, some high five second funny cars and tracks and, and getting amongst the heads up field. I think that will prove to be just as attractive as a lot of the uh, blown competition classes. Yeah. And I think that it's going to let those people uh, still learn and still have those stepping stones in a competition environment. Mm. Yeah, no, agreed there. Agreed there. One other thing I want to talk about, and this is just my view, so it might not necessarily be yours. And I, I we, Simon and myself and, and the whole crew, we, we turned his door slam into a radial car and had a lot of fun with it. So we're not saying we don't like radial racing, but has the radial movement in Western Australia been to the detriment of super sedan and has top sportsmen been to the detriment of super sedan as well? Have we pulled too many cars out of super sedan to, to fulfill radial and top sportsmen? And I look, I mean, we're seeing not very good numbers in top sportsmen. A lot of radial cars are out at the moment, but they're, they're slowly coming back. But just feels like it's to the detriment of super sedan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really tough question when, when you look at the different directions people want to go in the sport. Um, I would absolutely agree that top sportsman has, has simply taken from, from super sedan. I don't think we've seen enough growth in the numbers of top sportsmen and certainly seeing the decline in super sedan to, to justify having two classes there. Um, I think those being re-merged in Western Australia would be a, a good move for the sport just in terms of, rationalizing and streamlining the, the brackets that we have because certainly the, the bracket numbers have climbed over the years um and it, it, i always say in drag racing we're, we're very quick to add new classes all the time um both at a, at a local and a national level mm. and we're often extremely hesitant to to cull them when they when they do need to be culled um but it, it makes us more healthier i believe to have big fields and have competitive fields um the radial question is a, is a little bit trickier because the the cars by by design by the nature of the class I, I don't think they're particularly suited for super sedan they're they're inconsistent um they're extremely uh responsive to track conditions and i think the guys you see in in outlaw radial now are unlikely to be in super sedan anyway um the outlaw radial product in in western australia is is it's treated very differently to like uh, elsewhere around the world um where you have special track prep and, and eight mile racing and that sort of thing. Mm. So we've kind of got done this different offshoot for outlaw radial. And I think the class is, is at a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a tricky point because it was getting good numbers there for a while um, with that mixture of sort of fast street cars and race cars. Now what's happening is we're starting to see a few more race cars and, and the street cars that were occasionally getting some wind lights before aren't, aren't getting so many wind lights and, and that makes it uh, trickier for them to stay involved. So outlaw radial, whether that has to 
is to shift into a, a you know we just talked about rationalizing classes but i think to, to grow the radial product it perhaps needs to be shifted into more of an outlaw radial and a street radial class but uh that's the function that could be served by running them at, at some separate events uh during yeah. the year or perhaps as part of a fast series and and nurturing them in those places yeah. um it's, it's it's a tricky thing because until we get that critical mass of cars like we've seen in queensland where it just suddenly booms um we need to find a way to keep it yeah entertaining for for fans and also to, to make sure we've got a, a healthy racer base and yeah that's uh definitely definitely a question the sport needs to ask itself yeah most certainly and it's one that i you know I, I look i take my hat off to the the job that Corey marriott has done and we together with ray treasure and 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 the team there in the radio in the radio series Corey did a magnificent job last year um and really promoted the red versus blue deal on wednesday nights as well that was more of a street a street event uh, of course and then at national opens still um, you know did the, did the best he could and and i think he he had a great product there i just not convinced in 2021 it's the it's it's going in the right direction i think we need to have a look at it and as you said i think running their own events might be just the answer that these guys are looking for so i think that's that's a great idea actually i wouldn't ordinarily say that uh yeah a class running its own events is, is the way to go but i think radial because of its uh different needs for track prep um is is one area where we need to look at that Mm. Um, so perhaps the motorplex can dip its toe into the water uh, next season and perhaps schedule a couple of eighth mile radial events where there's a little bit more focus on track prep. Um, it's very much designed around the radial tire. Okay, so you, you need to have a, a DOT radial tire on the back in order to compete. No, no um, pure street tires, no slick tires. Um, and then drawing on both the, the current base of races that we have competing in the radial classes and also getting a few of those guys who run fast street cars at, at the Woolfast Wednesdays and, and things like that on the on the radial tires to come down. Hey, come down this eighth mile track, you you'll really hook up, set yourself some new new P B times over the eighth mile and maybe converting them into radial races uh, on a longer term scale. Yeah, yeah. And the one point I do want to note here, it is not easy. Uh, it is not easy at all. It is difficult. And, you know, uh, Simon uh, had a crack at it for 12 months and thought, you know, went that car went 6-0 on a big tyre and it couldn't drop into the sixes with, with a radar. And that's not, not to say that he won't, but, yeah, he threw a lot at it, and um, it's not easy. It's not, and I take my hat off to those guys and, and all, the, all the radial guys that are getting down the track. Anyone that's gone into the sixes with a radial or the low fours over the eighth, I, it, it's, it's commendable. It really is. So I, I really – I think it's a – I like it myself, um, but I think it needs some tweaking, no doubt. Yeah. All right, well, look, look, we'll take a short break here and we'll be back with more right after this. All right, welcome back to the Talk and Power podcast, episode 105, and we are joined by Luke Newhoff all the way from Tampa in Florida, the United States. While I've got you, Luke, we should shout out to all our – we do have a number of listeners in Texas, and I know they're, they're struggling a bit at the moment. There was a massive – it's made the news over here as well, a massive freeze over there, and it's uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, it's damaged all the water, a lot of the water mains, and now that it's defrosted, a lot of these water mains have burst, and there's – 
a number of leaks and there's a water shortage in the in the state so I know that things aren't going very well in Texas at the moment. So our thoughts are with those people over there. Have I got that right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of people doing it tough over there. So yeah, definitely thinking of those guys. And the heating as well. So no, we've got the, the double whammy, like electricity. Some people have been without power for now weeks. So it's terrible. So yeah, I, I saw that. It's made some pretty big news over here. So we're certainly thinking of them. Luke, um, I know you did a lot of work with the guys at Street Machine Magazine. They speak so highly of you. We had uh, Telfo on and um, Scotty on not that long ago, and they spoke very highly of you. The Drag Challenge, I know we spoke about Drag Challenge uh, when you came into the, the studio last time. They do a magnificent job. I just want to know your thoughts. It's a, it's a great product, but it's a, it, to me, that's a competitor product. How do we make that event as a spectator product as well? Like getting people yeah. to those regional tracks. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty interesting question. Um, it depends. Are we talking about uh, Drag Challenge USA or uh, sorry, Drag Week USA or Drag Challenge Australia? I'm talking about the Australian version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah that that is a, a tricky question. Um, I mean, the toughest thing is that uh, the events are midweek. No, so there's only so many people you can draw upon. Um, yeah, when, when people have day jobs to go to, uh, and and to be honest, I think I think you could put some effort into making it uh, more spectator focused. But your efforts are probably better rewarded just bringing in as many competitors as you can, and mm. uh, and letting it grow organically for the spectators. Um, I, I think you, you're never going to drag people away from their jobs. Uh, you know, work is is often people's priorities and and fair enough too. Um, so I think as long as the, the product is successful for competitors, I think that's all that event has to be. Even drag week in the USA, there's, there's not huge numbers of, of spectators in the stands. You've got some pretty awesome cars there. I think I've only seen one track ever get close to what I would say is a, uh, is a kind of a full grandstand. That was Great yeah. Lakes drag away of all places in, in the middle of the week. And, and for some reason they, they just packed the joint. Um, so some tracks like to like to promote it as yeah to get a few extra dollars in terms of the spectators. But look, I think I think making the event uh, as awesome as you can from a from a competitor experience needs to be the priority. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I um, no, I love it. I think it's it's awesome. And to be honest with you, Simon and I have spoken about it very recently. Um, he's been speaking with Boris and they sort of spoken amongst the two, Boris Viskovich that is from Street Machine as well, trying to get a WA version of the event happening as well. Clearly we're hampered by the fact that we only have one track. Um, yeah. But that doesn't, in my view, it doesn't, that doesn't need to be a, a huge problem. I think the event would need to be a little bit different where we're, instead of, we race every day at that track or, you know, so they have to go out to, for argument's sake, um, a town like a 2J and they, they put down the main drag of 2J, then head back to the motorplex. Then the next day down to uh, Mandra or Bunbury, whatever, Bustleton perhaps as well, because that's a reasonable distance away. And they cruise down the main drag there, then head back to the motorplex. I'm just thinking of things like that where, you know, even though we're limited with one track here, I don't. I think there's still uh, you can still have the event in just a different manner here. Yeah, I, I think it's possible to do for sure. I think you could um, do it with a little bit of a mix of racing at the motorplex and then perhaps 
working with some of these regional towns and and having like a, a like a mini car show effectively mm. so they could they could race at the motorplex during the day head to a, a regional town set up for a display at night which is compulsory for for cars to attend and then once the display finishes up okay well you can you can head straight to the motorplex if you want basically you can you can head anywhere you want as long as it's not home or uh mm. or something like that yeah um, and, I, and i think you could actually pull it off perhaps over three days um yeah maybe you, you start on a wednesday um, you race Wednesday day before the, the street meet at the motorplex so that you're reducing your costs a little bit there. Um, you're heading out somewhere at night, like you say, head, head to 2J, put a display on in the main street, um, something that, that people can, can follow a little bit. Um, make sure that the, uh, the, the road trip sections include some, some really nice and beautiful sections of, of country for people to see. Because hmm. uh, I think that's a, an important element is, is seeing parts of, uh, parts of the world that you don't ordinarily see. And I think it's definitely possible to, to pull off at the motorbikes. And, we, and we've got more than enough fast streetcars in, in Western Australia capable yeah. of competing. No, definitely. And look, I mean, the only reason why I bring it up is we have the guys from Targa in here regularly, Ross Tapper and, and uh, David Smith. And I'll be honest with you, we've done a few events with them now. And I, like the Allenbrook one last year, they packed Allenbrook out. I mean, when I say packed it out, I know the cars were racing through Allenbrook, but there were thousands of people in Allenbrook and even 2J as well. The, the town really gets behind and supports it. The only reason why I bring it to light is that those those particular towns, those ones that I happen to mention, Bunbury, uh, Ellenbrook, and um, uh, 2J, the shires and their, their local councils get behind those sort of events. So that you've already got them half... The, the, they're already sold those guys and girls from those those shires, so it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, to get them to to support this sort of event as well. I don't think it would be too difficult, to say the least. Yeah, I, I agree, and and you know, there's, maybe there's some creative thinking we could do. Like, it's it's kind of impossible to set up a you know a, a no prep situation because we don't have really safe enough roads. But hey, maybe we do the sixty foot challenge or something like that. You know, where we could prep a, a little section of road and mm. and and let them have a crack and, and run a little bit of an event there. Whether something like that would work, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, there's, there's some creative thinking you could do about how to to further test the cars that are involved. Mm. Um, and and look, the the event is basically about just absolutely confirming with no doubt these are street cars and then they can do these street sections and they also do this awesome drag race stuff. So yeah, the more fun you can have around that, the better. I mean, you think about it, even Western Australia, we have, you know, John Ferrodi, Eddie Tassoni, just, just those two names there alone. And, uh, you know, I know the Jeffrey brothers that that'd be, you know, they're, they're up for it as well. So there's a number of hard hitters in Western Australia that would be definitely get behind that event. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Luke, I want to draw your attention to Mark Cuban. I actually didn't know a lot about Mark Cuban. He's an entrepreneur. He's worth 4.3 billion. Apparently he's a TV personality and a media proprietor in the U S he also owns an NBA team. Don't quote me which one I don't remember, but he made an interesting, uh, this was a tweet about a couple of months ago. He said, sports with the least amount of actual game time have the best ratings. So football, basketball, hockey, soccer, that's the order for ratings in this country. It takes less attention span to watch a game with less actual time. So moving on to what, what he's trying to allude to there is somehow in the world of drag racing, do you agree we need to just shorten it up a little bit or make it, make it that bit shorter? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I, 
one of the great things about the motorplex is is just actually how compact the show is and it's also one of the most yeah it's one of the most underrated parts of of how that venue has been managed over the years because it's it's come through in the culture of all the races um people are people know that that show that starts at about six o'clock and runs through to about 10 o'clock is going to be all the stuff that they want to see and the races are used to making fast turnarounds making sure they're on time so the, the killer for drag racing is turnaround time um you need it for both because of the high horsepower that the engine's making and the maintenance that they require and you also need it from a safety perspective you don't want guys sort of rushing out and, and missing potential safety issues on a car um so i think there's a few ways we could we could shorten drag racing and i think what you see in terms of the habits of, of spectators at the motorplex is that they see two rounds and they're quite happy mm. they, they, they see the six o'clock session and they they see the eight eight o'clock eight thirty session and they're done and then the, the stands empty out and that's not any fault of the track it's not any fault of the races for the show they're putting on so the fact that after you know three hours people feel like they've they've received value for their money and and they want to get the kids to bed and all the other sorts of things so it comes back to what we were talking about before that that time is is a far greater resource for people than money mm. and they they will spend spend a lot of money to enter a drag strip if they feel like they are getting uh good value uh for the time that they're spending there and, and an engaging experience um so the nhra has made yeah made shifts towards um they're shortening their show at, at every possible junction to um, yeah, in, increase its spectator appeal. And I guess <laughs> at the opposite side, you have something like a, a radial event where there's tractors on the, on the strip every three or four passes. And, mm. and that's why those events aren't huge spectator-wise. They're, they're pretty yeah. much entirely race, racer-based, even, even the big ones. Mm, yeah yeah the other thing was uh, at this sunday event ray had to run, well the motorplex had to run an event uh, last week over onto a sunday because we had covid restrictions uh that went over to the set or well, that finished on the saturday he had to move the saturday event to a sunday and he was really disappointed or he felt that there was a there was a perception that there was a bit of an air of disappointment i didn't agree i think i think it wouldn't hurt for two events a year we had the andrew grand final a couple of years ago on a sunday afternoon it was a magnificent event it was great it was i really enjoyed a sunday sunday afternoon event and i feel like i think a sunday afternoon would also work in in western australia what, what do you think of that yeah i think particularly at the start of the season and at the end of the season when you can run during the day and it's not going to be 40 degrees mm. is, is an important factor um, and for formats like the Super Sportsman Showdown, which is, again, it, it's, it's never going to be a huge spectator event. It doesn't have a, a, a feature. It doesn't have nitro cars. It doesn't have door slammers. It's, you just have to base it on the races that will be attending and set your budgets based on that. If you, if you set a budget for that event expecting 5,000 spectators to show up, of, of course, you're going to be in trouble. Um, so running that on a Sunday, I, I think, would make sense. And, yeah, perhaps move, shuffling that into the the early part or the later part of the season, um, especially if you can keep it, keep it nice and tight. If, you, if the track can keep its costs down for the day and they can make a little money just on what they're getting at the competitor gate, um, then the Sunday afternoon format would, would perhaps work well. And you know, mm. there's ways to perhaps, tie, you know, you tie it in with, with a hot rod show or something like that. Mm -hmm. And yep. maybe attract a few of those people who are looking to do something cool on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, but you need to find a way to engage them beyond um, sportsman drag racing because as much as we all love it it's just it's not a it's not going to appeal to spectators uh ever 
that, that's a, yeah. the hard truth of the matter. Uh, you can see million dollar bracket races in the States and there will be no one in the stands because it's, it's not a spectator sport. It's, it's mm. about engaging the races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, agreed there, definitely. One thing I want to talk about as well, we talked about radial racing for a little while here. I want to go to Lights Out 12, not so much the event itself, but Donald Long. Um, do you, I, I still strongly believe we need a Donald Long in Australia. Not so, probably not as exactly the same, obviously, but we, we were graced by the guys, uh, Sam Scudis and Vic Baralos. I'm not saying that they're like Donald Long, but they had the ability to to draw a crowd or to, to get the attention of people. Um, do you think there's a need for someone like Donald Long, a promoter to, to in Australia, to take on that, that, that the radio racing? I think I think what Donald Donald Long is good at doing is yeah engaging his his racer base and making them think that they're the best and the baddest guys out there. And drag racing is an ego sport. We everybody is racing because of their egos. Um, so he he does really well at, at stoking those egos for for those guys, and he he makes it sound like the biggest and baddest event that there is. Now it's it's a really cool event. There's a lot of cool events in drag racing. Um, but he, he, he does what any sports promoter does. He creates a fear of missing out for people. Like you're going to miss out on, on the world record. You're going to miss out on seeing Stevie Fast Tracks and all these, all these things. He, he gives it a, an immediacy and uh, an importance that not a lot of other promoters give. And, you know, and he's prepared to trash talk too. Now, Australia is a different culture. Like in, in the USA, you can do a bit of trash talk and, and people will kind of uh, vibe off it a bit. In Australia, we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome, uh, which is, uh, yeah, it tends to, to cut people down like that a, a little bit more than in the USA. Um, so whether or not it would work in Australia, I don't know. But I certainly think a, a promoter that was extremely active in, in courting the racer base and and making sure that they were doing everything they, they could to, to make it a, a fun event and, a, and an engaging one uh, would do well in Australia. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, yeah, and that's why, I mean, I'm not suggesting that Sam Scooters and Vic carried on like um, the Donald Long does, but they have that appeal. They have that natural ability to, to, I'm really, I'm really saddened to see that their shows come off. They're not, they're no longer doing their show here in, in Australia. I just felt that those guys needed someone to really, to package up what they were trying to do and, and present it in a, in a more concise manner. I guess that some of their shows went like well over two hours, but I think those guys have certainly got it there. I'm a big fan of Sam and Vic and uh, I'm a huge fan of Donald Long. I don't agree with what he says. But I, I I like his ability to make me yeah I'm, I'm I feel like I'm going to miss out I'll have to watch part of Lights Out on uh, this weekend because I feel like I'm missing out if I don't you know Stevie Fast is going to do something or you know you you just he really hypes it up as well and I like I love the way how he even uh, screen dumps people that message him that might not be appropriate. Or they're asking their demands are inappropriate. He'll he'll screen dump that and put it on Facebook for everyone to see. So, I think he does a magnificent job. I, I really like love to see, love to get over there one day and meet the man. To be honest, have you met him before? I think you have, haven't you? I have. I have not met him aside from uh, sign on in the tower is about it. So uh, okay. yeah, but I mean, you know, he's at, at an event. He, he's busy, you know, running running the event. That's that's what he does. Like while he's a bit of a, a goof on on Facebook at the event it's all extremely serious and he's making sure that everything 
everything runs to a T. Mm. Um, so look, and and radial drag racing has been uh, it's such a growth area for the sport and and the constant push for records. I, I think the next challenge for for radial racing is are they going to they're going to hit they will hit the three forties eventually. You know, maybe maybe very very soon. Um, and, and it's how long they can keep sustaining this sort of record pace, which is which has always driven that fear of missing out amongst uh, spectators and racers. So whether or not they can find a formula. And I mean, Brian Lones wrote a little bit, bit about this kind of what comes next for radio. Like eventually if you push that pace too far, you're going to lose a lot of the people at the bottom end of the field. They're going to say, give it up too hard. So yeah. whether the sport of radial drag racing, and, and I always say it's, it's, it's its own separate world away from foot tire drag racing, whether it can survive that, that transition um, is going to require some, yeah, some different kinds of promotion, perhaps, and some new, some new ideas. Yeah, and no, I agree. We've seen uh, that yeah, some of those cars now are just, yeah, I think 340s are a formality. I don't know if it'll be at this event, but it's it's certainly a formality in the next year or two. Um, well, I remember when oh, Mark but- Mickey went in the 60s, it was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And now we're talking about going 40s. So, yeah, it, it's going to happen. But I think we've lost a lot along the way. And I think, yeah, a lot of guys will not lose interest, but, yeah, go elsewhere. So, yeah, I guess that is the fear that that's one of the one of the things that can happen in this sport, can't it? Yeah. And look, to be honest, I think 340s would have already happened um, if the rules were completely open. Um, what's While it's called sort of radial versus the world has sort of outlaw sound to it, the, the combinations are actually all very strictly managed to try and keep things as even as possible. Mm. Uh, they want to keep their nitrous cars the same as running the turbo cars, the same as the small blocks and, and so on. So you had Davis, David Reese, for example, um, putting that Noonan small block into the car and, and running extremely quick to start with. And then you got what they, they like to call the lead trophy, which means he did really well. And then you're given a extra weight for the next event. And so he switched back to the wedge. Um, that, that kind of thing means like uh, that the records aren't pushed as far as they, they potentially would be. And, and maybe that mm-hmm. does help nurture that bottom end a little bit, but still yet yeah, the, the pace that is required now in, in, in the top levels of radial drag racing is, is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly, certainly. We talked a little bit about Facebook. I just want to know your thoughts. I don't know. Have you heard of what's happened here in Australia? Basically, I, I have. Yes, it's uh, quite incredible. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on it. Uh, well, somehow uh, Drag News Magazine survived this this great culling of news websites, which we couldn't exactly believe. And we're not sure if it's because I'm a, a moderator on there and I'm based in America, whether or not they can do something there. But um look it, it what that what these actions by facebook um say to me is that it, it means we can't rely simply on on facebook to promote events to promote race teams and things like that you need to have a, diver, a diverse way of promoting um what you do whether that's as a tracker or as a racer um i think in recent years we've become very reliant on facebook because it gives us some nice little numbers and we feel good about it and we say oh we reached three or four thousand people here but in terms of meaningfully engaging those people, um, things like having, you know, good, good and healthy email lists for your track or for your team, um, making sure you're still doing the, the little one percenters like shopping center displays and, and all those sorts of things. That's all vital still in, in promoting events. Um, 
being stuck on one form of uh, yeah of marketing like like social media isn't isn't healthy in the long term. So, in terms of yeah, what Facebook has done and and how that impacts drag racing, um, I, I think it just yeah puts the importance of making sure all of our um, all of the of the marketing resources we put into the event are still as strong as they can be. So that includes you know track websites. I, I feel like. Some track websites leave a lot to be desired in terms of the information they give people about an event. Mm. It should be saying, you know, who's going to be there? What can they see? What time is it going to be? How do they get there? You know, where do they go once they're in there? These are all questions that new spectators ask. Yeah. And often we don't give them that very basic information. If yeah. you look at any major event now, um, and I use the example of, I, I think it was a, a gaming, uh, online gaming website that I saw uh, without we're having a big event. And, I mean, it put drag racing websites to shame simply because of how much information they were giving people about who was going to be there and what they could see. And, and just, it was it presented very professionally. Yeah. So the more thought we can give to that area and making sure people have as much information as they can uh, in, in lots of different areas is, is pretty important. Yeah, I agree. Agree. I'll be honest with you, Luke. We we rely talking power relies heavily on Facebook as well. We a large percent. I won't say a large percentage, but it's 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 a considerable percentage of our downloads to our podcast come via the Facebook page. So when we share it, when we when we drop an episode, a lot of the links come via Facebook. So we we weren't we we missed out on on getting cold as well. So that we're thankful for that. But I mean, the time might come where where we are and you're right we need to look at other avenues and and it's not just the tracks it's it's everyone involved in the sport needs to be on their toes and i'm going through it right now i don't know i haven't really i don't know where we're going to go but we we need to do something because you're right we can't rely on facebook we just can't do that anymore because it's it's you know this this path we're going down, I can't see this change in any time soon. Let's put it that way. So, well, from a racer perspective, I guess we often have people say like, "Oh, did, did you see the news? Like, we, we got a new car." Like, and it's like, "Well, I didn't see it because you only put it on Facebook." And we we are Facebook users just like everybody else, and we only see what Facebook wants us to see. We don't necessarily see everything that comes onto Facebook. Mm. So, as a magazine, we love it when people send us an email or, or something like that and just let us know what they're up to because it's engaging us directly. When you uh, put information up on Facebook and, and things like that, you are you're leaving it up to, to their algorithm as to whether or not people are going to find out. So, I mean, for racers who are trying to you know build engagement with email, I would say yeah, the first thing is yeah, build, building up your own email list. So, directing people to a website and then getting them onto a, a newsletter or something where you can communicate with people directly. And, and honestly, like something like an email list receives much better engagement than uh, than Facebook, for example. Like. Yep. Often when we put a story up on Drag News, we will post it on Facebook, obviously, and we'll send it out to our email list. And even though our email list has a fraction of what our followers are on, on Facebook, we find we get pretty similar amount, amount of hits from both. They're, they're both pretty even, yeah, which okay. is a, a kind of a surprising thing to realize. It's yep. The reach on Facebook that we, we see in those numbers isn't, isn't really as powerful as, as they make it seem. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that is interesting, actually. That is uh, good to know. We have an email list as well, but uh, yeah, as I said, we need we need to find other avenues. We have a website. It's quite. I think the website's pretty good, but we don't get the traffic like we do on Facebook. So, if anyone's got any ideas out there, let us know because <laughs> we're all we're all ears. Hey, Luke. 
it's almost it's been over an hour actually so look i know it's early sunday morning over there so i'll i'll let you get back to it but just tell us quickly a bit about uh dragnews.com.au that's where we can subscribe i'll have to renew my subscription because i've been very naughty and let it run out so <laughs> i'll get on to that tonight or tomorrow morning and res, uh, renew my subscription there um anywhere else we can find info on on what you're doing you have a facebook page american drag racer as well how's how's that one traveling Oh, that was a little bit of an experiment for a while, but generally focusing on, on Drag News magazine right now. So yep. yeah, dragnews.com.au is the, is the website where people can go and, and read articles and, and, and purchase subscriptions to the magazine. And yeah, follow us on Facebook while, while we're still there and, uh, <laughs> and check us out on there. Um, and yeah, anytime you have news or, or anything like that, um, yeah, send us through an email, press at dragnews.com.au and, and we'll be happy to help promote your team. Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's great. All right, Luke. Well, look, thanks for joining us on the podcast once again. We really enjoyed that. Uh, I hope you had a good time as well. And uh, look, we, we shouldn't let it go 80-odd 80, 80 episodes before we catch up again, 82 to be exact. So we'll, we'll have to catch up earlier than that. We'll try and make it at least every six months, just get, a, get an update from what's happening in the US. We really appreciate your time tonight. No worries, Nick. That sounds good. All right. Thanks, Luke. Take care and all the best. All right. Thanks, mate. Talkin' Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkinpower.com.au.